Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. of Recorded Conversations right before your Thanksgiving break. I know it seems like there's not a lot to be grateful for, but I implore you to look deeper and to see that despite the chaos, there is beautiful growth that is just waiting underneath the soil that will figure out how to unearth so we can have new blossoms, abundant fruits. I hope that your Thanksgiving holiday is abundantly blessed for those of you celebrating in the United States. And I hope this discussion that I share with Kurt and Katie Adkins lifts you up and gives you a little bit more hope because I think we should start being more optimistic of a nation as a collective in this entire world. If we can inject little little bits of hope and optimism all around, hopefully that spur some kind of growth for you and will help you greet the next day with a little bit more gratitude and a little bit more patience. My guests, Katie and Kurt Atkins, are podcasters. They are hosts of the Real Life Podcast with Kurt and Katie, which you can find on iTunes and all of the forums where you get your pods at. They are also the authors of the book, What If? 15 Topics Worth Discussing for Lifelong Happiness. I invited them on. We share in a great conversation. We break down some of the questions they ask in the book, share a little bit about their journey and where they're evolving toward right now, and get into what you can expect from their podcast, The Real Life Podcast. So as always, listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Katie and Kurt Atkins. Enjoy the episode. I'm just going to start that. Um, I have to tell you, I was explaining the premise of your book and your stories to my family over dinner. And when I had shared like one of the first experiences that you talk about in the book, you're the glowing man and Mike. And then I kind of went onward. My kids all looked at me like, is, is that possible? Is that really a thing that happens? And so we had this really long discussion about healers and in the history of healers and everything. So um, it was just really interesting. So I think when you were like, oh, there might be some topics in that book that, you know, you need to keep an open mind for. And I was like, oh, these sound like people that are kind of in my direction right now. I love those things that kind of shock and awe. Um, And so with that, that's the first thing I want to talk about. It's the glowing man and Mike. That was a phenomenal story in your book, What If?, 
15 topics worth discussing for lifelong happiness. So can we go back to that? And I have to ask, because it's, it's just in my avenue, were you all, were you drinking or on any kind of substances when this happened? No, no. no. Okay. The funny thing, the funny thing is, is, uh, is we had been sober for several years at that point. We have had other people ask that, but we had a path of, you know, my history is I was really wild when I was a youth and then I felt I needed to pull my life together. So I sobered up, but, um, and then the whole what if kind of came through that process and no, we were, we were stone cold sober and, uh, driving home. We had been doing a painting project for Kurt's aunt in, and, in Livingston, Montana, which is like five hours away from where we live. And, and we stopped at Katie's mom's on the, the night before. And we left, and it was a beautiful blue sky morning, and we started, we had to cross two mountain passes to get back towards, uh, come back to the Flathead Valley, and we hit an ice storm, and Kurt had never drove that section of road, and I was a control freak at the time, big time, <laughs> and so I actually, I don't even know if, I, if we wrote about it in the book, but as soon as we lost control, I just started screaming at him because I was so angry that I thought my life was going to end that way, going off of a cliff. You know, I remember seeing the trees get short. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, we're, excuse my language, but we're like going off a cliff here. Yeah. And um, and then it was, you know, wouldn't Completely we off the road. Like it was in slow motion. And when we stopped, we were kind of checked ourselves the first thought that um, I had was if I have cell service, I'm going to call my mom because she'll know our timeline because I thought the trees were going to give. And uh, that was really scary. Honestly, I had a lot of fear. And for some reason, we had cell phone service right there, which you don't really have it on that pass in general. Yeah. And I called her. I told her we had gone off. She knew our time frame for how long it would take to find, you know, to kind of find the section of the road that we were at. And then Kurt, he, his son was, we were supposed to pick him up from school in Kalispell that night. And so Kurt called uh, Zach's mom and we were just kind of sitting there waiting for fate. We really thought at that point that the trees were going to give and, you know, we were going to die in a fiery explosion. And all of a sudden out of the past, because we were basically side, on a cliff. Yeah, two, we were two little trees. I'm, I'm imagining like two trees just, holding cradling this vehicle you know that's right. what i trees at the width of like a uh, pop can i mean, I mean so they weren't big trees they were, how they even <laughs> held a big you know big truck was deep roots they must have had some deep roots they're oh. big trees now because we drove by it a couple of years ago to just, to just sort look. of see what it's like now and it, they're big trees now and anyway we you know there was a i we both looked over over my shoulder out the passenger side, we were hanging in our seat belts, you know, like our butts and our backs were out of the, we were at that kind of an angle. And, and she was yelling at me, don't and move. And I was screaming at Kurt, don't, don't move, because we, we can't change, you know, like we got to make sure that we don't shift weight. And all of a sudden he like opens the door and says, don't be afraid, I'm here to help. And next thing we know, like. Neither of us remember getting out of the truck. All, both of us only remember being back up on the road. Oh and we got up on the road and all of our tracks were completely And we looked covered. down and realized how far we had went down. Right. 
And he took and us you, into his and car. And he said, oh, I saw your, when we got up there, he said, I saw your tracks. And we looked at the road and, and there, was, there was no tracks because it had snowed so much. Yeah, and you couldn't see the tailgate. It was just the wildest thing. And at the time, we didn't even understand what was truly happening. We just thought that this glowing man named Mike was there to help. And we sat in his vehicle and he kept us warm and he told us, all these stories, he said, I drive this pass all the time, and sometimes people make it, and sometimes people don't, but I'm always here to help. And then my mom pulled up in the cross lane. You know, she came pulled into the turnabout, and Kurt and I got out of the vehicle, and my mom came over, and we turned because I wanted to get his address. I, want, I mean, he saved our life, right? So yeah. I wanted to owe him a whole bit of gratitude, and the vehicle was gone, and I said to my mom, I said, did you and see the... And there was the, no sign in the vehicle, no tracks or anything. I said, did you see the vehicle, the Subaru pull off? And uh, my mom said, you guys were just standing there on the side of the road. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And did then we were like, holy go. crap. Yeah. <laughs> it oh. took us years. I hate to admit how slow my learning curve is, but it really took us. But we had a friend that struggled with a lot of stuff, and he'd call in the middle of the night and say... Hey, can you guys tell us the angel story? Yeah. And then to we started him. to we started to really kind of get the big picture, but we were kind of slow to the curb. I mean, we were like, you know, you don't ever hear about that stuff. Maybe we were just shooken up, and maybe my mom was so, you know, we went through all these scenarios yeah. of how we could have missed it. And so that kind of kicked off a whole journey that is in the book. I mean, the, the book starts off explaining that story, and then the – you know, the whole process that went on after that. So, and so after this, I mean, you have this traipsing about in, in the, in the background of your mind, you're working towards sobriety. You feel this transition coming in your life. And well, then we each had a few years of sobriety at that time. Yeah. And so then you find out that you have, or, or maybe you found this out earlier. I can't remember the temporal lobe epilepsy. That was after. That was after because Kurt and I, the accident was in May. and We, we were, were supposed to get married in August. Yes, we had a big wedding planned in August. And I started to I started to get really sick, and I didn't know that I was getting really sick. I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what it was. I thought I was actually going schizophrenic or having a mental breakdown. And so on the 11th of August... We were supposed to get married on that that Labor Day weekend. Um, I ended up in a treatment center in Wickenburg, Arizona, because I thought I I was suicidal and homicidal, and I didn't like the thought of being safe to society and myself was completely out of the picture. And I had a good uh, person in my life say, "I think that rather going to a mental hospital, the state mental hospital, if you can go to." this facility is state of the art and because I don't think that you're crazy, Katie, I don't think that you're crazy and ended up going there. And that's where I got diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. And so how long had you lived with that before you met pastor Mike? And now I have to ask, are we going, uh, Mike saved us and now another Mike saves me. Are you seeing that? Cause that popped out to me. And I was going, oh, and I was waiting for more mics to appear in the book. But yeah. what did you guys there, think of that? Well, my middle name is Michael. Yeah, Kurt's so. a Michael. And I've had uh, another very, I have another very, I laugh about the mics in my life all the time because I have a father figure who's also Mike that's not a 
Mike the Angel, nor Mike the Pastor. They're all different people, but it's one of those names where I'm like, I've never met a Mike I didn't like because they always seem to have these amazing hearts. So yeah. that's just kind of a correlation. And so you are living with this temporal lobe epilepsy. It's costing you a fortune in prescriptions. You meet Pastor Mike and he heals you. Yeah, we were. Yeah, well, we, we sort of knew him through a network marketing business, but we didn't really know him. We had other associates and we went to a, a church in Colorado Springs with our friends and we realized, oh, we know the pastor. We had no idea the guy was a pastor because he was also a business guy. And we didn't really go to the church because we were churchy people. We went because we, we had were been in going Colorado. to church for a few months, but we were lost. We were totally lost. We just went because our good friends, Ron and Marthy, invited us to church, you know. And so that was, we're like, oh, well, we can get to spend a little extra time with them before we leave. And then we went into the church and, and Mike was was preaching. And at the end of the service, uh, my friend Marthy turned to me and said, Katie, if you allow Pastor Mike to lay hands on you, you know, God will heal you. And I was terrified. It was probably three years after she was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, but they, they really realized it was something she had her entire or most of her life. She had a... She was hit with a baseball bat or something as a kid, right? When I was a young kid, I was playing with a friend and got knocked in the And they head. think it caused a scar in the brain. That because I that. had, my whole life, I had thought everybody experienced it. The things that, that I was experiencing. slow motion thing, right? The slow motion. Yeah. Slow motion right. was a big thing. And then, like, I'd have episodes now that I know what they were, that they were seizures. I'd have them at school on, say, a Tuesday. And I'd go home and I'd sleep. And I'd miss the rest of the week. It of just school. had gotten significantly worse, you know. Wow. And so it was just one of those things that just progressed over time. And um, and so I was terrified. But Kurt kind of looked at me, and he didn't have to say anything. Like, are you kidding me? We're backwards in every area of our life. You might not make it with the medication you're taking because it was killing me. And yeah. so we went up. And Mike was so funny because he was like something out of Isaiah. <laughs> A little bit of oil and by God's stripes you are healed and, and that was it that was it I mean it was probably less than a 30 second encounter honestly but I went out to the car we were headed home and I went out to the car to take my medication and when we walked out of the church my mom said I know those people my mom was with us and she said I know those people mean well but Katie please don't quit taking your medication because the medication was even though it was killing me slowly it was keeping me mm -hmm. alive from having major episodes and Kurt he was like he had a spiritual experience I had no idea that I was healed but Kurt I knew he just knew I and just he's knew. like wow. you're healed he, Kurt just knew and Kurt was a different man I mean like I had been with Kurt and like something transformed in Kurt that day way before it ever manifested in me I mean I got healed but Kurt was transformed and actually people who knew Kurt when we came back from Colorado they were like what what happened? Who are you? And your and, body you knew know, because your body rejected the meds. Rejected the medication. Yeah. And so. But her mind didn't. But my mind, and I didn't trust it because it was really scary to, yeah. it was really scary to have an episode. Very scary. And so I forced myself to take the medication and I threw it up every day. And, you know, we met Mike and Barb then. That was in August. We met him in October. We were in Port, we drove out to Portland and met him. I told Barb that I felt guilty. I felt like I was having an affair on God because I knew that he had healed me, but I still was scared to take the medicate to quit taking the medication. Even though she puked it up every day. 
-hmm. and with all of the grace I mean, in the that's world. That's sort of crazy when you think about it, right? You know, you're puking it up every day. Barb just grabbed my hands and she said, Katie, if you take the medication every day for the rest of your life, or if you choose to quit taking it now, it doesn't matter because God's healed you. Like, you're healed. So if you feel more comfortable taking the medication, take the medication. It's not going to defile you. If you feel comfortable not taking the medication, don't take the medication. And we, it was December 27th of 2011 after my mom and her husband had left. They had come for Christmas, and I was reading a book. And I was like, this is it. And I flushed. I shouldn't have flushed. Don't, the, the city might not like the fact that I flushed my medication. <laughs> but I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't need this medication. And I never have gone back. People are like, why don't you go back to the neurologist? And I'm like, I now see Dr. Lindsay in public. The ones that had deemed her disabled, they see her and they're like, huh, what, what's right. the change? Because I was totally disabled. I mean, I got a disability check. And I was you've totally... had another doctor tell you what's right. amazing. I mean, so... And so, and it's all just God's, I mean, the, the source, whether you call it God, whether you call it Jesus, whether you call it whatever, it's the source of life that totally transformed my life and transforms all of our lives if we're open to the process. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're healed and then you begin healing others. So what was that like? I mean, was that, was that like a scary thing to have someone come to you with like this huge weight of an expectation that you're going to heal them, but then you end up doing it. Right. You want to uh, really the only first time and we, we wrote about that in the book, the first time that it happened with the lady with the, uh, losing her eye, eyesight and the doctor said she was going to go blind and she was healed. That's the only time we ever, walked away from it like did we do this wrong after that once that happened it was it was pretty much assured every time and so the confidence and the belief that god would heal everybody that we came in contact was sort of staggering and overwhelming to a lot of people in our life but you know there's people that don't agree with our theology that then came around to get prayed for and got healed and then would send us messages or say oh it's great that you know this you, God healed us, but we don't believe what you teach, so we can't come around you anymore. But really thankful that you were hit, that I was healed from stage four cancer and different crazy things. So, right, the persecution. The interesting thing with the it, we're in a very it fell pretty hard actually. We're in a very evangelical community, and so mm -hmm. there's like, you know, like I know that in some parts of the country there's con there's charismatic. Some of them are, you know, I mean, there's all these labels, right? Yeah. And ours is very, um, very Baptist in its roots. Ten Commandments. There's like a park, a Ten Commandment park, where there's like 30 billboards that tell you everything that's going to happen to you. How you terrible you are. Yeah. Right up 30 miles from us. And I mean, it's crazy. But um, so we had a lot of that persecution. Of and then we like, had a lot of other people just all of a sudden. Also, the other side of that, like, begin to hear about it. And so they would call when something bad was right. going on. So we always laughed. We always were like, Oh, it's these people who really can't stand us. But we were like, God, but every time something's bad in their life, they're calling us to pray for them. And we were willing to do it because it was one of those things. Like I never, I didn't feel worthy. Like I didn't think it could happen. I wasn't out seeking it. It was just one of those things that it was like, I didn't want to disappoint Kurt and have one more fight because our marriage was so volatile that it was like, I'll go and I'll allow Pastor Mike to pray for me. And if it healed, great. If not, then I tried it and I don't have to fight with Kurt over the outcome. That's how I, I mean, that was my motive. 
most people would say, well, that's an impure motive. God shouldn't have healed you. But that's not who God is, right? God's the creator of life. He's in and through all things. And so it's been an interesting. Kurt was very, I thought, if as long as Kurt's part of the prayer, people are getting healed. I didn't realize that it really had nothing to do with Kurt or I. It really had to do in the belief of mm-hmm. other people's unbelief. Isn't so, that the thing about it? It's the belief. It, that, right. That's really what heals us is the belief in something, knowing it to be true within every bone in your body. And these people right. believed that you believed, and that was it for them. Right. 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 And then I had, I remember one time it was like, Kurt couldn't be there. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? And that was where my confidence was. And sure enough, I went and I prayed and the miraculous happened. And then, you know, it started having like, there was this one woman who didn't, she never shared that she was having any problems. I walked by her and I felt clear as day, go up and tell her that her back is healed and that she's totally relieved of the pain that she's been having. And I walked up to her and I was like, Donna, this is going to sound very weird. (laughs) I just felt like I was supposed to give you this message and I shared the message with her and she broke down crying and was like how did you know how did you know and I said I didn't know I was just literally walking by and this message hit my heart and she's called up a friend a few days later and said the most amazing thing happened like the back pain's gone like the healing happened and so it's just and I think God does that through all things, all people. Mm-hmm. I think that we all, if we're, especially if we're in tune with it, or if we're willing to allow that possibility to, to actually be, I think that it, it can happen for everybody. I don't think that God gives certain people things and doesn't give because that's not unconditional, in my opinion. Mm, and I know that that's where I'm at, but I don't think that that's an unconditional God. If he's like, well, I'm going to give Susie this power and I'm going to give Tom this, but I'm not, you know. I'm, I'm going to withhold some of my gifts from some of humanity, then that to me doesn't seem like unconditioned. It yeah. seems conditional. And I so. think it's, yeah. And, you know, I, I always go back to the Bible and what is it? The end of, I can't remember if it's Luke or John, that little, and many more people will go on to do greater things than Jesus. I mean, that always right. stood out to me. And when I was little, I used to get growing pains like really bad in my legs and to the point where I would be screaming every single night. And one night my mom just had it, right? They did the washcloths, they did heating pads, they'd sit there and just rub my knees and it, no matter what it was, it was just uh, utter pain. So my mom taught me this trick in that she was like, well, your mind is this really incredible medicine that you have. And if you can focus on the pain and you can use your mind to push the pain out through your toes. It won't hurt anymore. You know, and I think I was four or five and I'm like, okay, we'll try it. You know, my mom's not going to lie to me. And so night by night, this was this process that my mom kind of guided me through and the growing pains went away because I could feel them sense coming on. Like I could sense them. And I would get to the point where I was like, okay, I know what we're going to do here. Right. And it was as simple as just imagining that there was just this, this door that was just kind of trying to keep pushing forward and pushing the pain outward. And eventually I would just see it seep through my toes and this, this energy would be gone and all this pain. And I remember being really afraid to tell people about that because they look at you like you're crazy. Right. They're like, um, okay. And something that I 
science does science prove it, true. right? And these yeah, are things that I tell my children as well, too. And I mean, these are things right now that we need to hear. Like, you think all of these little narratives that are playing out in front of you are somehow going to crush you, but you don't realize that you can go, you know what? This isn't going to oppress me. This isn't going to burden me. The same with the COVID thing. Um, I was just talking to, to someone about it yesterday. She's like, well, what do you do? Are you like holistic? Like, what do you do to, you know, you haven't gotten sick. You, you're not worried about it. And I'm like, well, we have these minds. And if we give into the fear that we're going to get sick, we're going to get sick, you know, you can tell me here's eight symptoms of what COVID does. And I'm like, in 20 minutes, if I wanted to, I could manifest all of these symptoms right now. Like, right. you know, that's how powerful your mind is. And to be sharing this message with other people, I mean, that's what I really appreciated about your book is I'm like, this is exactly what science, psychology, and, and, and all of the academic chapters are coming out and letting us know. And you see more theological works gravitating towards this physician heal yourself mentality and actually believing it to be true, which I think is why more and more people are kind of feeling like I need to find someone who believes they're a healer because then maybe I'll believe too. And it kind of sounds like you might be having that impression on some people, but other people are just using you like the doctor. They're like, Hey, don't want to talk to you about how you don't believe in this theological concept, but I'm getting a backache. Help me out. And (laughs) are you charging for this? Are you just, are you trying to give them a little bit more of the good word that you understand? Or, I mean, do you ever get to a point where you're like, you're not going to use me for this if you're not going to like come into my circle and, and, and hold me with this. We have have gotten to that point. We have to some, some degree and then shifted back the other way. Well, but there's a balance, you know, people are, people are people and so you're gonna have the ones and and i i for the longest time would take it personally and be like they could have such a quality of life if they would just dive in and start deconstructing all of the theology that's binding them but so many people are are terrified to do that for what they might find one they might actually find freedom and they might find the ability to pull out of a system and just get to go like for me that was the coolest part is and is now i can just be but for other people who are very secure in systems, it's terrifying. And so I can somewhat understand it. At the same time, I get frustrated because it's like, how many times, Joe, I'm just using that as a as an imaginary name. It just came to me. But how many times do we have to continue to come over and, and pray for your back? Yeah. You know, it's like it should have been a one and a done thing because then you should have the excitement and the desire to get in a relationship with the power that healed you and mm. move forward. I know that I shouldn't have expectations on people, but I'm like, where did Kurt and I get so fired up about this and so excited? And I know there's other people all around the country who are having these experiences. And other people just are like, oh, well, every time I have a backache, I can just call Kurt and Katie instead of doing like you did when you were a kid and going, okay, I can feel that the growing pains are coming on. Now I'm going to manifest the healing through visualization, through focus, you know, and all the self-disciplines that we have that God gave all of us. Right. And that's why we went through the the, uh, goat and the 10 elephants in the room, mainly because deconstructing those can get you to the place like you can do this. Like the sin one was a huge one for us. I mean, that, that was the first problem because once we understood that sin wasn't an action and that God just totally loved us and cared for us and sin was really only just 
a wrong belief about God and a wrong belief about how he sees us. Like it wasn't like doing anything wrong and behaving a certain way. It totally was a game changer because we saw people that would get healed with like cancer and stuff. And then like a year later or two years later, they have a new ailment because they hadn't changed the belief about themselves. And so they, that manifested in their heart. Your volume cut out. Oh, I'm sorry about that. There we go. Um, (laughs) It's, it sounds like they believed in your prescription and they were like, okay, I'm going to take the doses, but it wasn't. And I see that, that that's how society is with the healthcare system too, is like, I believe this prescription will work, but you don't want to do anything to like prevent the need for another prescription later on by implementing those beliefs or influences into your life. You just and that's kind of the, the downfall and dilemma of society is we want the quick fix and we don't right. want to have to do the work for it. We want someone else to do it for us. We want, I just want to go to the chiropractor and have them do what they're doing instead of me going, I got sick of going to the chiropractor once a week. I learned some yoga, so I didn't have to go to the chiropractor. And same with like food. I mean, I can, I can keep going to the doctor because I'm having these allergies to food or you can rethink the foods that you're adding into your diet, or uh, you can rethink how your foods actually impact your health. And instead we're like, eh, oh, who's got time to think about that? I just want to do that. And I think we do that with our spirituality too, is ah, I just want someone else to do the work and tell me what I'm supposed to believe. And you guys are actually going, uh, I'm going to do the work and figure out what I actually believe and not focus on what other people believe And so you come up with these what if questions that I just really love. And one of them that stood out to me that was a really big, uh, had a really big impact in my life and the way that I saw God was what if I am the word. And so I'm wondering if we could just talk about that and what brought you to that understanding? What if I am the word? Well, that was a powerful one too, is really starting. And and for me, just like you said, was a huge scripture for you. I remember when I read that, that you will go on to do greater things than Jesus himself. And I remember going like, that's powerful, but not having any barrel to put that shell in, right? And being like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but that moved me to the core. And then getting to the, we're co-heirs. What does it mean? What does it mean in scripture when it actually says that we're co-heirs and co-equals? What does it mean when God said that we were created in his likeliness and image, that we are all little gods? What does that mean? Does that mean that we are? Or does it mean that there's some theology that's going to say, well, that was a really good concept, but you're not. And that just reminds me of the system of the church, which drives me nuts. And so I, for the longest time, I started having this revelation of like the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gave all of us life that force, that source, whatever it is. And it's powerful to really realize that I and we're all, I am, right? Mm -hmm. That all of humanity is connected to that. And what what kind of a power does that give a household, a person? uh, How does that empower us when we start to think that that there's no separation. He's in and through all things. And if he's in and through all things, then that means every every bit of my being is co-equal to his being. And I think Francois de Toit in um, the Mirror Bible and John, I don't know if you've ever gotten into the Mirror Bible, but his translation of the 
of the Bible, he, he there's one of the verses at the beginning of John, and I'm not sure which one it is, but he says to the I, to the concept that you're the greatest idea God ever had. Mm. And understanding that you're the greatest idea that God ever had, and that you were created in His image and likeliness, and therefore we are the Word of God. It's not necessarily the Bible. And it's not anything else. We're the word of God. We're the spoken word of God because we're born out of that. It, we were spoken into existence. Mm -hmm. I love that. That that whole and the I am statement too, and the power and the force behind it too, is. And and I learned this through um, when I was seeing a life coach. He taught me the the power behind the I am affirmations and the I am statements. And I was like, oh my God, that's what Jesus kept using and like went over my head like I am is the empowering power in itself and when mm -hmm. you say it you believe it and you own it and you hold it and I always thought that God, that was the one piece of the Bible that the church never really focused on was the I am statement and, and not in my experience anyway it could be different for others but um the whole, what if I am the word and I am God's greatest idea? I, what kind of encouragement does that just help for us to deliver to ourselves when we have the world telling us we're not supposed to be who we are? And instead of going, oh, they might be right and something might be wrong with me, we stand firm in our I am statements and remember, God wanted this here. That's why I'm here. And, and, and sometimes that might seem overtly confident, but I do it in a way to just go, there's nothing wrong with who you are in this moment. God made you for this purpose in this moment, in this life, you're God's idea, go with it. And how much shame can that release from a person if they stand firm in that truth, right? Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of connects into that. The next what if that really stood out to me was what if this is the truth that will set me free? And that I think plays in maybe for you too, is how it is with people that we interact with, especially when we're sharing what, what we believe. A lot of people can push against us and we think, okay, well, it might not be the truth for you or this might be the truth that will set you free if you're willing to be patient and reflect and try and understand what a person is saying. And instead of just being the resistance and pushing back because it pushes back against, you know, what you go through because you then will experience this cognitive dissonance and cognitive dissonance is actually a really good thing for us because that means something's going on inside. That means that we're going Oh, I, uh, uh, and that is kind of trying to flush through the system to let us see the truth. And so I just, that, that part and, and, and that, that question and discussion, I really like, what if this is the truth that will set you free? I'm wondering if there's a specific truth that you had someone really push hard against you about that eventually was like, you know what, you were right. And it kind of set me free. Well, go ahead first. You answer first, and then I'll answer. Yeah, for me, we were, you know, we were trying. We were, we had a fellowship. We had been ordained. We had a group that we connected with, and we were. And that's what we don't mention in the book, even. Yeah, we, we don't even ordained. mention that we were ordained, but we were ordained. There's a time so, and a place for that. So we had a lot of outreach ministry going on, and we had people invite us to different fellowships. Like I remember one time we got invited to 
um, a Russian fellowship and where we actually were the only two who spoke English in our hometown and had the translator and that was an interesting experience. It was but, all in Russian. It was pretty cool. Yeah, but we cool. went. They to, wanted us there. We got invited to some place, and we were listening to this message. And I kept turning, like we were close to the front, and I was sitting, and I kept my heart hurt, my heart physically hurt, and I felt nauseous because he, the pastor was preaching on God's slow to anger, but man, once he gets mad, he is pissed off, and it was like this, like. Ugly. So you have all these choices along the way, so he doesn't really get angry. And like, so but eventually I kept, he's gonna, you're gonna push him to the anger state. So I kept turning, and finally I turned to Kurt and I said, "I got to go to the bathroom." And I went and I sat in the bathroom, and I'm like, "I can never, I can't go out there. I have to guard my heart. I cannot subject myself to this." So I texted Kurt and I said, "I'm not coming back. As soon as this is over, I'll leave the bathroom and we'll leave. I can't put my heart in that position to be hurt anymore." Because that can't be God. That so can't the be truth, the God that I so have. So the truth there was that God's not right. Never so, angry. So for me, I was going, man, this message, it, it, it pushed me into a deeper level of the Greek and the Hebrew and trying to, because I still thought that I had to be accountable to the Bible. Like I couldn't fully trust that I was a word. So I felt that I had to have this cognitive reasoning for why I felt so strongly. But I was like physically ill and I told Kurt, I said, I can never be subjected to any of that crap again. Like I need to guard my heart. The Bible tells us to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it are the boundaries of my life. I can't put myself in an arena where all these people are getting whipped and beaten and aren't being built up and told who they truly are. And so that for me. And was, I challenged him. I challenged him at the end of his Kurt talk, challenged openly him, challenged openly. him with questions because he opened it up for questions. So we both handled it differently. And how did you challenge him? Well, I, I basically told him I can't be God. I don't remember the exact things that I quoted at the time, but I really I really pushed the envelope and he said, oh yeah, maybe you are right. And it's like, well, you just talked for half an hour that I'm not right. So maybe you need to figure this out Kurt because really God brought- is 100% love in my, and even at that point, I understood that, that God's not angry and he's never going to be angry. If he sees no record of wrongs, then he's not angry. Thank you. Yes. That that is the one thing that I use just to remind myself, even when I get in my own head, but as a way to kind of filter through the junk out there too, is to that comparative contrast. I'm sitting here with a notepad, keeping tabs of all the times you fuck up. Ooh, that one gets you too. And I think God is, do we do that with our children? Like, I hope not, you know? And so I always think, am I a nicer parent than God? If I'm over here thinking that seems kind of messed up and psychotic, like that God would be like, do you remember that one time when you were in third grade and and you stole those pens from your teacher to hell with you? Like, what? I didn't even have enough cognitive information available to me at that time to really process what right and wrong even meant. And now uh, no, nothing, no forgiveness, no grace. But then how do you balance that? You know, and you start looking at the Bible and if you read it literally, you're like, this God is bipolar as hell. I'm not following him. I'm not going right. to worship this. This is crazy. But I love that you talked about going back to the original Hebrew and Greek because that helped me not want to just throw the Bible away, right? I was willing to go, wait a minute, 
translation, translation, translation. Something always gets lost. And you brought up the Russian group that you were with. And isn't that language I often hear is such a rough translation back to English. It loses so much almost poetic depth to it in the way that the Russians speak about things versus the way it's translated for, for us to understand and put those words back in order. And so it seems like throughout the book, you constantly go back to and point out, do you know this word actually means this? And that was kind of the introduction I got in my original understanding of deconstruction was the words have meaning and we've applied different meanings to them. And those different meanings have created this different image of God that's false. Right. Right. And one of the more recent ones that's not in the book that I've, I've come to the realization of is when Jesus called, uh, he called the Pharisees the sons of the serpents or sons of the devil in maybe Mark. I don't know if you know what scripture I'm talking to. He refers to them as yeah, sons of the devil. Mm-hmm. So here's the interesting thing that's actually should be translated that they're uh, students of bad teachers. Hmm. So when he's talking about these Pharisees, all they are is students of somebody that didn't know who God was. So they're students of bad teachers. They're not really sons of like a demon. They're just son. They're just students of this bad teacher. And so they're passing along that bad information because they were taught wrong. And how many people did we deem evil because of that silly translation? Right. Too many. Too many. Right. Oh my God. How many people were like burned at stakes? You are sons of the devil. And no, you just got bad teaching. Hold on. Let's correct this. <laughs> right. right. Let's, let's find out who God really is because Jesus also said you can't even recognize God if he's standing right in front of you. And so, I mean, there's just a lot there. Right. There's so much there look at the um, gospels that were uh, written by the apostles. So their firsthand experience versus second or third hand experience, which is going to have, which is going to be influenced along the way by your own personal experiences. Well, and even to think about, and I think it's in Psalms where it talks about you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but then Paul, and there's a whole group of people running around going, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but there's... We're friends to do. But what's the connotation to fearfully? It doesn't make sense. It's like, it's an oxymoron, right? You're fearfully yet wonderfully made. You know, you're scared shitless, yet you're beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's such a, it doesn't even make sense. And they say, well, you know, they use all the, the religiousosity about it. Like just, just Paul corrected it. Paul, said, Paul came back and he said, we haven't been given a spirit of fear. You've never been fearfully You're wonderfully made. made. You've been given a spirit of it's power, like, love, so and a sound mind. It was a correction. It right. was a point of correction. Like right. You There's guys no were taught fear. this wrong thing. You know, you were born out of, out of love. You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind rather than you know, but there's a whole group but of you people better be afraid. that are like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so I need to fear God, so I need to stand shaking with my head in the dirt rather than boldly proclaiming, I am, you are, I am. You know, celebrating is a totally different connotation to how you embrace your relationship, you know. And we realize that some of this stuff stretches everybody if they've never heard it. Well, and we hope that it just it stretches people to go, hey, maybe I'm going to go and examine that for myself. As a a student of yoga, I will say stretching is very good. And I think we all 
than to be stretched. So it's a good thing because a very stretching thing to say, and I never had any problems with saying it. I mean, when I came to this idea, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. And I was like instantly on board with it is the idea that what if all will be saved? And you throw that down and people are like, well, well, no, there's bad people and bad people have to go through the punishment and suffer the absence and the exclusion of God. And you say no. Right. Yeah. And we say no. I got everybody. Everybody's going to paradise. I can't imagine. What would you need to be saved from if God's never been angry and if he keeps the records of wrongs? And if Jesus said, I didn't come here to judge. And he said, yeah, and by the way, the Father's not a judge either. So what are we being saved from? Well, and if you take other it all than the way our back, wrong belief. And if you take it all the way back to us being created in his likeliness and image, then what kind of a psychopath is God if at least a third of him has to be saved or damned to hell and be completely isolated from him? You know, I mean often, when Oh, go ahead. No, oh, no, go ahead. no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, often I think that these um, uh, these eschatologies that we hold on to and this belief in hell and eternal punishment are more reflective of the judicial system that we have mm-hmm. in, in our country more than reflective of any ancient Hebrew idea of what God looked like. And I can't help but wonder, maybe you see this too, I just, I often see people try and take the system that they live in and find pieces of the Bible that complement that and justify that and add support and credence to it so that they can stand firm and upholding and valuing, you know, laws of the land and punishment and, and justice and judgments. Do you see that too? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely see that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, a good one on that though. When you say, well, what crime would ever result in eternal punishment? Because even what? a double life sentence is served after the person dies. I mean, let's, if it's forever, if you understand mathematics and it's a forever thing, then how could anything ever be that? And now, right now, what's pretty interesting about the, um, I find interesting about some of the Christian community that they've now accepted the, the people that are saying, well, there is no hell. Now they're saying, well, yeah, we were wrong. Now it's just annihilation. Yeah. Now just at the end wiped out so that once they've come to the conclusion that there is no hell and there is no supporting of hell and they you know through whatever sources don keithley or whoever they've tuned into that really dissect it and really have broken it up they've said okay yeah there's no hell but we're just gonna it's annihilation it's like oh man that's even crazy too. well and i think it goes back to an eye for an eye and people don't realize that an eye for an eye makes a whole world go blind. And I, and this isn't, maybe this is going to sound really conceited and it, it, I don't want it to because it's not my heart, but people who are like, I'm going to die on the mountain of justice have a whole lot of internal healing that needs to be found for forgiveness of something that happened to them in their life that they have said as the bar that I am never going to forgive. And so anybody who is even close to whatever that circumstance was, they're going to be annihilated or hells for them, or they need to have torment or God's just or whatever, rather than if you can just get vulnerable and be like, man, we're all just, we've all had crappy things happen to us and we've all done crappy things to other people. And if we could just go and decide that the God 
living in all of us is going to shine his light and love into that situation and allow that healing to happen, then we can all be sound in acceptance and love. Mm. That's just where yes. that, I mean, yeah. I'm always like the, and I, I really just, feel. I was just listening way. to a Lewis Howe podcast yesterday and John Paul DeJora from guy that started Paul Mitchell was on it. And like the last 20 minutes, he said, once you understand that, you can forgive everybody and you hold nothing against them. That's when you find peace and love. When you have total forgiveness of everybody, then you have love and then you can make an impact on the world. And I thought, boy, that's pretty good. It's just getting there. That's the thing that sometimes you have to go through a process. And I'm not minimizing anybody's circumstances. It's just, oh, yeah. it's like I would, people are like, how can you and Kurt be so forgiving? How can you guys allow, you know, like, like there was a time that, Kurt got a, this was way before even spirituality, but we were involved in active 12 step recovery and he got a call from the hospital and he brought some random homeless person that was admitted into the hospital into his home, put him on the couch for three days to make sure that he could get the detox and get the medication and get everything taken care of. Didn't even know the guy's name. And I, and me at the time, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, we, were, we were just dating at the time. So like, like, what the heck's like, going on? Like just, but I learned what uncondition was even in that process. And we try to live our life like that. We don't do it perfectly, but we really try to live our life like that because it's like, man, lest if I judge, I don't want to, I don't want to be the person that some that falls down and hits my head and everybody else just doesn't help, you know, mm. because of some imp whatever, some wound in myself doesn't healed you right because it's wanna... the wounds in somebody's self that cause them to go down those paths right I and agree. so we and i'm like what would jesus do you know like and what did he do and even not him but gandhi and i mean if you look at all of the different spiritual spiritual paths i believe that they're all you know i mean i mean i'm an inclusionist i believe that all are included and it's our journey we get to go on and praise God for yoga and praise God for meditation. Praise God for Native American rituals because mm. they open. You know, it's all like, a process of getting to, right. to where you find out how. And those Native perfect. American rituals, especially, I have so many Native Indigenous um, sacred rituals, especially around the garden. I mean, I've implemented into my own life. And when it's been dry, I'm like, okay, well, you know, sometimes starting a fire causes the rain to fall. So let's do it. I mean, sometimes we don't even notice, maybe even subconsciously, we work in all of these rituals and traditions and Christmas trees on Jesus's birthday. I mean, we in we intertwine everybody's beliefs and ideas into our own. And we don't need to put those little labels around them and be like, this is this, this is this, this is this in a way that we are elevating one over the other we can just say look at all these practices and ideas we do and isn't this great and if it shows somebody a, a, a picture of god uh, why condemn that does the greatest folly of christianity especially in some of the circles i've been entwined in is that i mean even i remember when i started yoga and i was going to a lutheran church and people hear about that and they're like you know yoga is kind of like um satanic worship yeah you're inviting the devil in i heard yeah and i'm like <laughs> uh well even down That's to great. the role of well sex toys are 
Satanistic. And I think, or God created really creative people to create really creative things to keep the bedroom warm. And we'll go with right. that. Instead. You know, like well, we always want to see the enemy, right? The enemy and the devil right. in something instead of God in something. Right. Right. And when you think of the Garden of Eden, it's the Garden of Pleasure. So yeah. that's that's another thing. Well, and it comes down to our idea about and, you know, we talked what about what we in think the, is wrong and what we think is right. And the enemy chapter of, of what if we really talked about that it's where um, the enemy is anybody who comes in and tells you something that doesn't ring as truth to yourself. You know, it's not like it's the devil. And so if you think of if you raise your kids in a healthy sexual environment where you it's not a shameful thing it's I just am bringing that up because you brought that up where it's actually a beautiful spiritual thing that you where you can connect in depths and ways where you're comfortable and confident and, and you get to see God's beauty versus if you do anything except for missionary style then you're going down the path of the devil and this is going to happen to you and you are risking your chance at ever having eternal paradise because you're, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm just using two total extremes, but it all, all comes down all for that little bit of pleasure, but it all comes down to what the teaching is around it. The same thing with money is it's like money's not evil, but you're, if you've been taught the money's evil, then you're going to believe that money's evil. And if you've been taught that money is a tool, then you're going to believe that money's a tool. It all comes out of how you've been taught. Just like if you grow up in a home where, sex is not talked about, money's not talked about, the religion's not talked about, then you go into the world in a really kind of naive, and chances are you're going to go to the extreme on all of it to try to find a balance. And it's like, no, God's not, like, I don't think that he's sitting outside the sex store saying, okay, so-and-so went in there and that's a mark. You know what I mean? Could you? It's like, I just don't see. <laughs> you get 10 tabs for <laughs> <You know>? that. <laughs> right. I just, I just have a really hard time. Yeah, it know. reminds me of the TV show Good Place. If you've ever watched that, yeah, I Place. actually did. I just started, I started watching that this year, and yeah, it's pretty funny. But that's that whole tally thing: what's good and what's bad. God's not yeah. keeping any tally, and He's no. wanting us to enjoy and experience all the joys of life. Yeah, I think we're the ones that keep tally. I mean, in, in social media land, it's more prevalent than anywhere. I mean, we keep tally of likes and comments and, and page views and page shares and the downloads. And, and I mean, that's just kind of been inundated into all of our behaviors that keeping record of things is very important. And I think, is it? And I'm that kind of person that I can literally have an argument with my husband and 20 minutes later, I can be smooching all over him, cuddling him, going, do you want to have sex tonight? And right. for a long time, he was like, weren't you just mad at me? And I'm like, yeah, but we had a talk and I'm over it. Like, and I remember even my daughter, when she moved her boyfriend here after my grandson was born, I blew up at him one day and I was like, here's how you have to be with babies. You can read to them. You can put your phone down and you can look at this wonderful, beautiful little creature who is pining for your attention. And I was like, this is really important. We have to do, you know, and then I think like an hour later, I was like asking him to help me do something and come in the kitchen and talking to him. And he went and told my daughter, he's like, why? is she being weird like this? Like she, she gets mad or something. And then she's 
And, and, you know, my daughter's like, that's the way my mom is. She just lets shit go. She wants to confront it. And can we have a resolution and move on? And that experience has helped me to not hold on to things, right? Like, and also, I mean, I should probably work on my reactivity, but, you know, these are the things that kind of tangle down into the roots of grace and forgiveness, right? Like, I can be angry about something, but do I want to carry that with me all day? That that little moment of an emotion, do I want to bring it with me through the rest of the day? Because what happens is it just kind of spreads out into literally everything you're doing if you hold on to it versus, you know, just letting stuff go, offering grace, turning the other cheek. And if that means you're turning the other cheek 20 times in a minute, I don't care. Just do it because if we hold on to that stuff, it's going to drag us down with that other person and it won't allow us to see what that other person is struggling with. Right. I'd agree with you on that. What just came to my mind when you were talking about that was when we were talking about the Greek and the Hebrew and, and the mistranslations of words and, um, and in, maybe it's a Psalm again. I'm not good. I used to be really good at quoting. Oh, right. I'm, I'm probably worse than you with the Bible. So <laughs> I'll be like that one page in the book. Yeah. The further we get, the truth is the further we've understood and the further along we understand that we are the word, that we're the living word, less um, address in a book means to us because we can just say what, what really is the truth. And so, you know, that's why if you know, I don't, you probably didn't notice in our book, but uh, the second half of the book probably only quotes one or two scriptures. Gradually through the book, intentionally, we quit quoting scriptures. Right. Well, what the scripture, that though, reason. that came to mind was those who wait upon the Lord will take up their wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will something and not faint. I'm butchering it totally, but it's Isaiah, I think, 40, 31. And the interesting thing about that is I was like, the wait, it just shows separation. I'm like, so I'm waiting at a bus stop hoping that God's going to come by and maybe pick me up. I started, I got hung up on the wait, and so I went back and I found in the actual word is kava, which means intertwined. And so then I read it with the actual word and those who are intertwined in the Lord. And I'm like, it's a totally different meaning. And that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about letting shit go versus holding on to stuff is if I'm waiting for something, I'm holding on. If I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm just holding on and I'm sticking and I'm grabbing and I'm, I'm festering and I'm resenting. But if I'm intertwined and it's an active movement and emotion and a fluidness then i'm just going to be able to be in the moment and let shit go and, and that's why i, I think so that's a, yeah because i mean that distinction alone i think of all of the programming that has been doled out situated on that word wait and in, in in the translation of it thinking it means i'm sitting here waiting you know because i think about women who are like i'm waiting on god to give me a holy godly man or a man i'm waiting for my godly i'm waiting for god to present i'm waiting for god to do this and it's like god's right there like all mm-hmm. over you're you're waiting on fear maybe maybe you're waiting right. because of fear and you think that some big blatant message is going to show up in your text message i don't know what it is but that I, I remember reading that and I was like, God, do you know how many social programs have been created around this one idea out of a mistranslation and how much shame and, and damage it, it does to people when we don't understand the words, but it's easier to confuse us if we don't know what the words mean. So there's that. Right. 
there is. Yeah. <laughs> That's what keeps it. Yeah, it keeps you in control. <laughs> exactly. And that is that that is the central theme that I've been seeing a lot of people who are moving towards a more conscious frequency of discussion is this, you know, if we can unite and we can see that we're all one and just a reflection of each other and a reflection of God, we don't have to we don't have to get hung up on what divides us. And then we don't make it so easy for other people to instill fear in us and then perpetuate that same cycle over and over. And I mean, your book, what if I would love to just recommend to all of the listeners just to jolt people out of the ideas that they have become comfortable with. Because what I've come to realize in my own life is change is not comfortable, but change is something we can't prevent from happening. And often the struggles we feel in our life is because we're resisting that change because we're like, no, I like my cozy blanket. I want to be right here. And someone's pulling that blanket off of us, exposing us to the cold, not realizing that we actually need that. So then when the sun shows up, we can start sprouting a little bit more, right. You know, and, and coming through and just these discussing the topics, not even coming to going, I fully believe that, or that's a hundred percent probable just going, huh, if I was willing to consider this to be true, what would it set me free of that I've been struggling with? Right. Right. And, that and, was, and if I don't agree, what is, what part of it I don't agree with? And why is it that, you know, yeah. what's the, what's the word? Um, decide, well, we all have situations that program us. So what's the programming that's making me instantly object Right. rather than being willing to do the research and dive into myself. So and, even when I listen to um, pastors or whoever today, and I like a lot of them, if I don't agree with something in it, it doesn't mean I shut it off necessarily. I think, okay, well, why? I pause it a lot of times and think, why, why, why don't I agree with it? And, you know, and is that actually, is that, is that based on some fear or is that a reality that I don't agree with it? Yeah. And so it's really, it's really allowed a lot of personal growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so then your podcast, the real life podcast, what would you just continue to explore these discussions and more discussions? I mean, I've listened to your podcast, but I want you to tell the listeners, like, what is it that you're doing on your podcast and what kind of conversations and, and topics are you inviting in? want to go um we're really just expanding on the idea that we're all created to create the life that we desire that's really the bottom line so it's really the the second desire. half of the book I like right right so we take it's you the know, second half of the book which is the walking on not second half but even our next book whatever it may end up being is really going to be an expansion of that concept of how do we actually live in victory versus a victim mentality. What do we, what can we do to stay a victor? And what, what do, you know, what is it that to stay in relationship to continue to be, I am, you know, because mm-hmm. I wake up some mornings and I feel like, uh, I'm not, I am because yeah. of my mind is a little bit of, you know, and so what is it, what is it, what's the topic? And a lot of times, you know, we have success principles, we have, um, spirituality, we talk about relationships, um, and so it's really just usually whatever theme comes into our walk of life that continues conversations for Kurt and I, then we like turn it into a podcast and it's really it's the what we're really talking about throughout the week. 
Right. It's a con it's just a continuation. Okay, now that I have deconstructed and I have found my identity, my authentic self, what are what's that process like? What's that relationship like? And it's real life and so, you know, shit and fuck and god damn it and you yeah. know, I mean it's it's one of those things where it's like freedom. We really like to have fun. We like to, because there's so many people, and I used to be one of them, and I can still go there, that are wrapped so tight around the axle that the idea of having fun slips away. And it's like, wait a minute, we need to, especially in the time of now, when everything is so tight, it's like, let's just loosen up and, and have some fun. And I was born to have fun. And Kurt is so. a fun guy. I Yeah, I 100% agree with you. That has been... The last few weeks, that's what I've been just really focused on too is, holy crap, we don't know how to find pleasure anymore. We don't know how to play anymore. We don't know how to have fun. I mean, comedy, right? I, I love comedy. My husband will sit there for hours and just watch comedy after comedy. And what we love about comedy is it kind of helps break up that those clogs that the, you know, the, the weight of the day can add to you. But even comedy now seems to be tiptoeing on the lines of taboo because people don't want to laugh anymore because everything's right. about productivity, proving your success, showing your status. And we need to get back to what are my true desires and what makes me happy and what do I enjoy and what do I get pleasure from? And pleasure isn't just sex and pleasure isn't just a selfish thing that you do. But pleasure is actually really good for our mental health. And when we are providing ourselves with that form of self-care, that helps us better relate to other people. And I think, why are they taking all the fun away from us? Don't they want us right. to relate to each other? But that is such a crucial thing that we're missing is the play. So how do Kurt and Katie play? How do we play? <laughs> oh, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> We have a lot of fun. We we do a lot of spur of the moment adventure stuff. Yeah. You know, we're big into travel. We're we like to travel. travel. Um, yeah. We like to travel. We like to remind ourselves. You know, like if I get really if I get really uptight, I just smack your ass. Kurt smacks my ass, or he'll That's start good. dancing. Me. <laughs> That's awesome. We we always try to lighten. I do a little striptease in front of her. We try to lighten. I love the, that. We just try to I'm trying to get my husband just, to do that. <laughs> yeah, he'll do it. Just. Kurt's pretty good at it. And I'm like, you can probably make a little living with this. Oh, you go get an OnlyFans page going. <laughs> if our other businesses weren't so successful, we'd we'd consider it. But we flirt. We flirt a lot. That's Sometimes sad. we get looked at really funny at the gym because we'll make eyes at each other. Kurt will actually like oh, yeah. dry hump the air. So there was <laughs> one time I actually did that at the gym, and this is sort of funny. There was a guy in between us, and and uh, he thought I was doing it to him. And he, I've never We've seen never him at the gym back, again, but I, but I caught the look of him. He thought I was like. And I got saw him get up and walk out, and I told Kurt, I said, he should have just walked up and smacked his ass and said, hey, I got nothing but love. <laughs> because it was like, we've got to have fun. But people today, they wouldn't, they, you know, a lot of people, it's like they they're probably. They're wound tight. They're and, wound tight, and you could get yeah. shot over that. And it's like, come on, let's just let's, relax. Let's just enjoy life and. You know, I agree. You know, we just are all about adventures. That's awesome. Adventure, play, and what if. I love your what if book. I highly recommend everyone to pick it up. I grabbed it off of Amazon. Um, Kurt and Katie, how can people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you and learn more about you? 
you know, they can send us an email at 4forfreedom5 at yahoo.com. Um, they can, you know, send us a message. Kurt's on active on Facebook. Adkins. Yep, Kurt, Kurt. Kurt. And uh, we have tons of people get in contact through us that way. And, yeah, we just look forward to people joining the discussion. Our whole heartbeat, and that's why I love what you're or doing. Or they can even text me at 406 314 3698. Yeah. All right. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. I don't really have time to take a lot of phone calls unless it's something really pressing with all our other business stuff that we do do that we we stay pretty active, but he'll always respond. I'll always respond to a text. And if it's something of great importance, we'll talk on the phone. And our whole heart, just like your heart is to just, could we just have a discussion and be okay with not agreeing. And so that's really our and hard understanding that you're perfectly and wonderfully made just the way you are, whether you're, mm. I mean, that's a big one for us, whether you, you, your sexuality or any of that, uh, you're perfect just the way you are and don't let the world tell you otherwise. Right. And Amen. God loves you so much. And if that, if, if people could just start to go really me and start to embrace that relationship of love, Lives change. We watched it. We've had it, that experience. We get to witness yeah, it personal with people. Experience. And I don't think there's anything more beautiful than the than the falling in love with who you were created by. And so and thank who, you. And who you are. Right. Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you Katie for- and Kurt, so much. And listeners, remember also you can catch them on the Real Life Podcast with Kurt and Katie. Both of you, thank you so much. I love your hearts. I love your work. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and happy holidays. And thank you so much for joining us here at Reporter Conversations. Thank you. you. Too. Thank you Bless so much. Us. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.